Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Alrighty. Rule number two, the rhythm rule, our lives are the product of our patterns. Now, the word rhythm, it's obviously a musical word. That's how I knew it growing up because I didn't have any of it. Anybody else with me on that? Um, It's funny. My wife has always had like impeccable musical rhythm. She's not a musician, but I've always noticed this about her. Like we do these little competitions. Like you ever do this with your wife? Weird, funny stuff like drumbeat competitions. She always nails me. She's got like a secret percussion gift that she hasn't fully given to the world yet. And I'm excited. She can like recite to you the exact notes and moments of every song. This is just a little fun fact she didn't know I was going to share with you. Rhythm in the musical world is defined as a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound. I called Ben earlier this week to get a little bit more information about how this actually works and, and trying to make sure I get the right terminology that I don't you know, use like the word harmony with rhythm. We were, we were talking all about that. But just as a song or sound has rhythm, just as a, as a sound has a strong, regular, repeated pattern to it, so do our lives. There are rhythms, there are patterns, there are habits in your and my life, and they are shaping who we are and who we become. Just think about some of these, for example. You in your life, even right now, you have certain vocational rhythms, You have rhythms of of work and how that work plays into your personal life. You have physical rhythms, rhythms of diet, sleep, and exercise. And those can often fluctuate based upon seasons of life, especially children. They like to come in and just say, I'm here to mess with your rhythm. There are relational rhythms, rhythms of engagement, rhythms of, of relationship, both personal relationships, marriage relationships, friend relationships. There are recreational rhythms. I've been trying to expand my golf skills by increasing my recreational rhythm of the good old game on the links. Uh, It's not really working yet, but I'll keep you updated. Um, You know, in this day and age, it's interesting. Have you thought about your digital rhythms? We're in this this moment of time where we've got to make sure we are still human and not like human and machine because everything is technology, everything is digital. Our entire lives are, are relegated into this little box in our pocket and it plays a major part of the rhythms in our lives. We have a whole set of strong, regular, and repeated patterns of life. Um, and again, these rhythms, these patterns are shaping us. And this matters, especially for followers of Jesus. Paul touches on this idea in the book of Romans chapter 12, when he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't this interesting? Paul understands that there is a certain pattern of life. There's almost these competing patterns in life. And whichever pattern you're following, whichever pattern, pattern, habit, or rhythms you're adopting, they are going to dictate the product. They're going to dictate who you're becoming. You're either being conformed according to a worldly pattern or this great invitation from Jesus. You're being transformed from the inside out, as we looked at last week, by the renewing 
of your minds. Um, we're aware of this as a church. There, there's a reason why each and every Sunday morning we have a sort of rhythmic and repeated pattern of worship. You ever thought about that? You ever thought of like, you know, there is a sense of, of discipline and order and organization to our gathering, and there's an intent behind that. The church has been gathering in rep uh, repetitive ways, we could say, with repetition all throughout the centuries because of the role that repetition plays in formation. You know, we don't just kind of come in and go, let's see what the Lord does. We're going to hang out for a little bit. I mean, if that was the case, knowing our church, we'd just be hanging out, drinking coffee, and talking for an hour and a half, right? No, but, but we know there are certain practices that we have to employ week in and week out. And the reason for that, we, we gather around Jesus in worship. We open up our Bibles each and every week. We go through this, this practice even. Like it's actually a spiritual practice to take two minutes and say hi to the person next to you. That's not like buffer time meant to annoy the introvert in you, though it does. That's a spiritual practice of sharing life with one another. It's not our tendency but it will shape us if we walk in it. That, that's why we do church the way we do it. Now, I imagine you know this to be true in your personal life as well. Uh, maybe in your home life, in the Lundy house, we have certain patterns, certain rhythms that we are employing to, to help shape our kids. One of the most recent and uh, has been a, a, bed night, a bedtime routine. You need that bedtime routine, okay? And part of it has been this practice, this almost rhythm again, where we take some time to go over the highs and lows of our day. It's been like a new thing before bed. It didn't happen the other night, and this is how you know it's working, because what happened? The kids woke me up the next day and said, Dad, we didn't, like little religious kids, we didn't do the thing before bed. But, it, but it's actually not a religious negative thing. It's a healthy thing, and they notice the benefits of it. And so when it's missing, they're like, that rhythm's missing and something's off. You ever felt that? Um, and it's a great practice in our household because it's, it's a chance to go, okay, let's not just let, you know, uh, life happen to us and just keep going. Let's make sure we're going at a pace that's healthy. We're stopping and we're going, okay, what happened today? You know, we're taught in the church a lot of the times to start your day with Jesus. It's also good to end your day with Jesus. Like, what did Jesus do today? What were the moments that were worth celebrating? We, we get to do that together. We get to learn how to rejoice with those who rejoice but then also, like, what wasn't so great about today? Is there anything, kids, that, that, have, that kind of uh, is making your heart sad? Anything that was hard today? Let's think about that. It's become a, a rhythm for us. The other day, we were doing our highs and lows, and Evie, uh, she, had, she, she had, usually has some, some lows, and, and <laughs> she had a low, and she was sharing it. And I think it was about Aaron's new English bulldog, Ollie, and something about him jumping on her head and hurting her head. I think that was the low. So we were really, you know, weeping with her in that moment. Oh, we're sorry, that was so hard. And then it was Judah's turn. And Judah was, like, he said his high. And it, was like a, it was like a high. It was like a mountain high. And then he goes, I didn't have any lows today. That's what he said. Because I just had, actually had a great day. And every kind of looked at him like, really? You know, uh, um, <laughs> And we're like, it's okay, buddy. It's okay. You don't have to force, you know, some like horrible moment out of a great day, okay? Uh, but again, this practice, it's been so helpful for my kids. Even learning in this rhythm, like how to bring what you're, you're going through to Jesus. That's what we do at the end. We pray. We go, okay, God, here's the highs of the day. Here's the lows of the day. 
These are formative practices. Now, in the church world, there's a word for this. It's called liturgy. And it's kind of a high church word. In our modern Christian time, um, we haven't done away with liturgy, but we've done away with calling it liturgy. We call it service flow. We call it the timeline of church. We call it, you know, we don't call it, even call it a service, even here at Salsa. It's a gathering. It's just kind of a hang, a Jesus hang, all right? Um, but, but the word liturgy itself, it's rich with meaning. It's rich with history. It's rich with, with a lot of important things for followers of Jesus. The word liturgy, let me just give you a definition of what liturgy is. Liturgy is a pattern of words or actions, like stand up, sit down, you know, repeat this after me, sing this song, Let's read this scripture. It's a a pattern of words or actions repeated regularly as a way of worship and spiritual formation. And so that's what we seek to pursue each and every Sunday as we gather. But I want to submit to you that it's not just church that has liturgy. Your life has a liturgy. Let me say that again. Your life has a pattern of actions. that are repeated regularly. Call them habits, actions, rhythms, practices. And these habits and actions that are repeated regularly, they exist as a form of worship and spiritual formation. And those two always go together because you become like what you worship. So let's evaluate this morning. We're talking about, in this series, who we are. Sometimes it's a hard thing to do because maybe we're afraid of what we'll find or what we know. But I love that Adam reminded us about that this morning and just bringing our confession to the Lord. It's always, with Jesus, it's always a safe place to look into who you are. Maybe there's been some experiences in your life where you revealed who you really were and the result of it wasn't acceptance and love and restoration, but it was condemnation, it was rejection. So that can sometimes spill over into a relationship with God. But, but what, what the Bible screams from cover to cover is this idea of a God who says, come to me. It's safe. I see you. I know what's going on. You can bring it to me. You can be honest before me. It leads to prayers such as David's in Psalm 139. Lord, would you just search me? Not only am I going to bring to you what's in here, I'm going to admit that I can't see everything even you see. So I'm going to say, show me what's in there, God. And that was the heart that David had. That's the heart that we want in this series. That's what we're trying to get at. Who are we? Where are we at? And how does Jesus meet us there and lead us forward into a process of formation to where we become healthier? We become more like him by his spirit. Here's the question we want to ask ourselves this morning in light of this kind of focus. What rhythms, patterns, and habits make up your own daily and weekly life. Just contemplate it for a second. How are your rhythms? What are your rhythms? What rhythms, patterns, and habits make up your daily, weekly life? And then here's the the next, probably more important question. Ready? How's it going? How are you? Who are you? Who are you becoming? Another way to ask this is, in light of those patterns and rhythms, how, how is it working for you? Anybody ever come face-to-face with the uh, negative result of a bad habit? Okay. We all have. The hard thing about a, a bad habit is you don't know how bad it is until you do. You have, like, a loving spouse that tells you, like, you got to 
you got to stop doing that, okay? We're not even going to get any more into detail, all right? But, and the hard thing with, with a good habit, this is what's hard about doing the right thing and, and, and having good rhythms is like you, usually you don't ever really know that it's going well. Others notice it. They're like, have you, have you been working out, right? You're like, yeah, I have a good rhythm in my life, actually. It's so funny you say that. I'm so glad you noticed. It, it can be sort of hard to gauge the rhythms we have and to see the results of them. But there are rhythms in our lives. And as you look at that, just kind of ask that question again. How is it going for you? And then another question of this is, what does Jesus have to offer into this? Who is Jesus and what does he bring into our rhythms? What does he bring into your life right now as he finds it, whatever rhythm might be there? Uh, In Matthew chapter 11, the passage that you're turned to, we have one of the boldest and most helpful promises that Jesus makes about the course of our lives and how he's come to change them. Let me say this again. It's one of the most bold and, and, and helpful promises that Jesus makes about the rhythms of our lives and how he's come to change them. And in Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking as if he's assuming there are some unhealthy rhythms leading to some unhealthy results. Or maybe there's just not, it's not even that you're unhealthy, but you're not healthy. You're not experiencing the life that you know God has on offer for you. And you're kind of going, what's that connected to? You know Jesus' words here, don't you? In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You're exhausted. Whatever rhythm of life you have, it's left you tired and worn down. And Jesus says, here's what I have for you. Let's trade what you have going. What a better offer, right, is for rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take a whole new life approach through me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find in my way, in my yoke, in my life, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now we know this expression, if you were raised in VBS, you know that a yoke is this plowing term. It's an agricultural idea between two ox. They're yoked together to walk along the same path. And certainly Jesus wants that for us. He sees us exhausted, living life on our own with unhealthy rhythms, producing unhealthy results. And he says, come, get yoked to me. All right, not like yoked, boys, you know what I'm saying? But like get yoked, get connected, get tied into my way of life. And as you follow with me, as you stay close to me, I'm going to bring about rest. I'm going to bring about spiritual fruit. I'm bring, bring, going to bring about the right things. But the, the phrase yoke is also, at that time, it's a, a first century uh, euphemism that rabbis would use to describe their set of teaching and their vision for what the Bible calls the abundant life or the good life. A rabbi would come to town and he would bring his yoke. He would have his disciples who are following his yoke and then he would bring to that village and that people, that spiritual community, his yoke. Here's my set of teaching for how the best life is lived. The truth is, we all have our own yoke. We all have our own idea. That's why the Bible says, be careful that you don't get yoked together with unbelievers, right? Be careful that the person you're doing life with has the same idea about the good life as you because it can negatively affect you. Jesus has a yoke. He has a set of teaching. And what a bold statement he says. He says, do life my way. Learn life my way, and you'll find what you were created to experience. 
which is rest, which is life to the full. Now, we, we can, we, it's almost like we can't ever read this verse in the Bible without going to Eugene Peterson's translation in the message version. In, in the message version, Eugene Peterson says, as this is a, a, a paraphrase of this passage, uh, kind of, he, he's kind of giving a modern understanding of what Jesus is saying. He says, are you tired? Quoting Jesus. Another way to look at this, Jesus saying, are you worn out? You ever been burned out on Jesus stuff? Religious stuff? Church stuff? Ministry stuff? Got to do the God stuff? Are, are you burned out on religion? He says, come to me. Come, stop, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover what you've lost. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Come be my disciple. Notice this phrase, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Is that not the most inviting sentence you've ever seen in your life? Come learn the unforced, not the weighed down rules of religion, but come, come learn the unforced rhythm of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. One author and commentator said about this verse that, that what Jesus is saying is he, he doesn't say that Jesus gives you an escape from the weight of life. Life is heavy no matter how you swing it. It's going to be hard. There's going to be complexity. It's going to be difficult. Jesus here is not offering an escape from the complexities and the weights of life. He's offering equipment. He's offering a way to bear it that leads to health, that leads to spiritual, in a sense, spiritual prosperity and flourishing. Now, it's amazing. Jesus is saying this. I want to point this out. In a time where this is extremely relevant, which is, which is crazy to think about, like that this is relevant in the first century, before Wi-Fi, before Netflix, before our work calendar and work week as we have it in this day and age, where the sun goes down but the work doesn't stop. This is before iPhones. This is before one of the most modern tactics of the devil. Notifications. Did you just get one? Have you got one at all since you've been here? Notifi notifications. You've got to know this. You've got to know what the president just did. Look. You've got to know what this person says about you. Look. You've got, you got to know how many people love you so much that they double-tapped your picture. The true test of love, right? Notifications all day long. A world of distraction. This is the context we find ourselves in. So if this was ever applicable then, it's certainly applicable now in the day and age we find ourselves in. And, and let me say this. Though the times have changed, the invitation is still the same. Because Jesus isn't just some first century teacher and rabbi. He is the risen, reigning Lord of the universe who's right now looking on at your life, saying, come to me. Come to me and learn some new rhythms. You know, this was Jesus' vision, by the way, for what the movement of Christianity would look like. What his disciples would reproduce all throughout the ends of the earth, 2,000 years later, even to Boca Raton, Florida. His vision was for disciples who are learners of his way to make more people like that. Make more disciples. That's what a Christian is. Somebody that has been saved and rescued through the shed blood of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus and someone who now is seeking to live and learn the Jesus way. To have a whole new way of life. That's what he invites us into. I, I, I want you to learn is that key word. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Back to that New King James translation. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. C come learn my way. This is what it means 
to follow Jesus. Not just to, by the way, fill your head with all the information. That's not what his vision was. Here's a Christian, a container of spiritual information. Come learn, come study the Bible, and just fill up your noggin with the truth. No, it's not less than that, but it's certainly so much more than that. The vision is come be a disciple. Come learn from me. What Jesus is essentially saying here is, I have a whole new option for your life. I have a whole new way for you to live. Some, author has said, some authors have said, a whole new way to be human. Um, the word disciple we talk about this a lot. It's important to remember this. A disciple is not some elite, top-tier, Navy SEAL class of Christian. Like, if you serve long enough, if you give long enough, if you pray hard enough, if you fast often enough, you get to be a disciple. All right? And you get a little badge that says, hey, disciple Andrew, welcome to Seoul. So glad to have you. Check out my status. You know, that's not what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who's put faith and trust in Jesus. Salvation's the doorway to being a disciple. And it's a learner of Jesus. It's a follower. But don't think learner as in classroom. Don't think follower as in Twitter or Instagram. Think of the first century. A disciple is someone that really prioritized three things in their life. These are the three goals that every disciple had with their mentor that they were following. Their goal was to be with them, to learn from them, in order to live like them. That was the goal. Like, I see the way you're doing it. I want to be with you in relationship. I want to learn from you, and I want to live like you. If our Christian faith is not involving this, we're missing something. This is what it's about. Apprenticing under Jesus, learning his way. Um, and that's what Jesus, again, is inviting ourselves into. It's a sort of, and another word I, I, that I can think of that I thought of that kind of helps this is just like the word training. That's what we're doing. We're training as disciples of Jesus at all times. We're, we're training in his way. We look at our way of life, we're like, it's, it's, it only gets me so far. I want to train under your way. Um, John Ortberg makes an interesting distinction about this as he describes the Christian faith. And a problem a lot of us have with the Christian faith is this sort of battle between trying and training. I wonder, like, this morning, where do you find yourselves? Are you a Christian who's just always trying? I'm trying. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I tried. Did you follow Jesus? Yeah, I tried. Did you, did you go to that church? Yeah, I tried it. All right. What about prayer? I tried prayer. All right. Do you have the abundant life that Jesus promised? No, nah, I tried and I didn't. Mm -mm. I tried. That's the, that's the view we could have. And John Ortberg says it, it's kind of like the mindset of showing up to a marathon on, without any previous practice and just being like, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to try. I actually had an experience like this before. When I was a high school youth pastor, there was a four kids 5K happening out somewhere southwest. And there were five adorable and passionate high school students. Lucas, were you one of them? He just said yes. <laughs> Lucas, Dan Noss, a couple of these guys. I said, guys, why don't you come over? We'll do a little discipleship night at the house. We'll hang out. Poor Brittany. And... Super young, still young youth pastor. And then we'll go run this, this 5K in the morning. And so here was the preparation we did. We went to Walmart overnight to get the best running outfits that we could find. Sweat, you know, bands, the whole deal. And this, this was like a charity 5K, but it was a serious 5K. It's not the 5K that any wise youth pastor would bring five freshmen to, okay? And so... That, that's what should happen, of course. Now, I showed up that morning with all five freshmen. And in the front of the line is, is this, this army 
of like real runners. Like they've got, we talked last week about like the look of a runner and what they wear, how they, they've got the number, they're, you know, loosening up. They got like the whole thing, like, you know, 0.1% body fat. Like they're, they're, they're ready to take off. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think like the rule of thumb was let this, it wasn't like said, but let the serious people go in front and everybody else is kind of in the back and they run the 5K and, you know, but not these guys. Luke is included. Right there in the front of this group is the five freshmen. And when the gun goes off, you have these, they just take out and they sprint about 50 yards ahead of everyone else. And they're like running backwards, like at the, at the 5K event. Now, here's the truth. They started first and they got the farthest first, but they, I don't even know if they finished, to be honest, let alone won the race. They definitely didn't win the race or place. But listen, that's a great analogy and picture of how a lot of us may approach our lives. Are you trying to run a marathon without training? The Christian life is this. I'm inviting you into training so that when the trial comes, you're ready. I'm inviting you into training so that when the temptation comes, you're strong and you endure it. I'm inviting you into, into training so that when the dark night of the soul shows up and God, is, God feels as far as anyone else, you've built a robust framework of faith in your heart that leads you to rely on his promises and not your feelings. Training versus trying. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Train yourself to be godly, he says. Bodily exercise profits a little, but, but godliness profits so much more. Jesus said this in Luke 6.40, that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly, this is Christianity, trained will be like his teacher. If you just try to be like Jesus, it's like trying to show up to a marathon and sprint at the beginning of the race. That's not what this is about. This is about training as a disciple, seeing the beauty of Jesus, seeing the, the offer of his life, saying, I want that more than I want this. Jesus says, come. Come learn from me. You'll find your life. You'll find love, joy, peace. You'll find the power of my Holy Spirit. You'll become even like me. Now, it's important, in a, especially in a talk like this this morning, as we're talking about the paces of our lives and and the call that we have to train under Jesus, it's important to define what that looks like. So the, the question I ask myself is like, what, what could I sort of give our church in light of all this kind of information? What's some practical application that we can think about um, to, to really get an idea of what the way of Jesus looks like? That's what we're trying to ask. Like what were the key, when Jesus says, come learn my rhythms, what, what were the rhythms that we're to train in and, and practice that mark Jesus' life. Let's go through these. Here are some key rhythms that I want you to jot down. And listen, again, don't try to nail these this week, but this is our training plan as disciples of Jesus. Maybe you start with just a couple reps. You start with a couple laps, all right? But the, these are the things in Jesus' life that he invites us to adopt. As we look at his own life, the, the perfect way to live, these are the things that we're going to find. And what I, what I want you to notice is, each of Jesus' practices have a counter-practice that he usually navigates in balance. This is something interesting about the life of Jesus. It's not just like a to-do list. It's, it's so much deeper than that. It's counter-practices that bring life into balance, that bring harmony, in a sense, to our lives. Here's the first one. Filter your life through these, and you'll be able to evaluate how you're doing in terms of living the way of Jesus. First is work and rest. Mike, I don't know if it's me, but that font seems like super teeny tiny. Is there a way to like embolden it just a little bit? You guys read that in the back? Oh, good. We saw it. Oh, we straight. We Gucci. Okay. 
yeah, I went to that new church. The pastor said it's Gucci. Okay. <laughs> Work and rest. Work and rest. Um, the first place to focus on the life of Jesus is this counterpractice of working hard. We know Jesus, prior to his three years in vocational ministry, Jesus was a hardworking man. He had a job. He models what it looks like to use our gifts, our passions, our career, and our vocations for the good of others and the glory of God. Each of you are called to work. You're called to get to work with whatever God has put before you, whatever God has put within you, and to use that. The Bible says to do that heartily as unto the Lord. That's the vision for work in the Bible. Work is not just a means to a financial end. That's a part of it. We want to be good stewards. We want to work hard to be able to save up and give a ton away to our kids, family, and churches, and friends. But ultimately, the heart of work is doing something heartily as unto Jesus, running my business unto the, unto the glory of Jesus, pursuing goals in work unto the glory of Jesus. So we're called to work. We see that rhythm even in the creation story as God is working and speaking and creating. That's really what work is, and that's what God commands man to do in the garden. Hey, just as I've created, I want you now to take the raw materials of this earth and cultivate them, make culture, make awesome things, get to work. But make sure in your rhythm of work, there's also a time to rest. There may be kind of two extremes of this. On one hand, we have people in this room that, that you, you know, like you, you've got more work to do, truly. You, you, there's, there's, there's work to be done. Challenging our, our young people. There's, there's, there's an able body you have, and, and there's hard work that you can be doing. Get to work. Work hard. And then for other, others of us in this room, you don't need to hear that. <laughs> You need to look at the rhythm of Jesus' life. The Bible says this in, in Luke chapter 4.16. It says that Jesus came to Nazareth where he, where he had been brought up. So this is his upbringing context. And as it was his what? This is a, a word used all throughout the Gospels to kind of show the rhythms of Jesus' life. It'll say he was accustomed. It was his custom to do certain things. It was customary. And one of his customs was he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there he stood up to read. And at this moment, he inaugurates his ministry and his purpose. But just isn't that such a profound statement right there? So hidden in plain sight. Jesus had a Sabbath custom. Jesus had a pattern in his life where he would take a day. And the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, which just means to cease to stop. The Bible says, don't get, don't get into arguments about which day. and what, don't, don't, don't get there. Don't be, don't be that. Paul says, be careful. Don't debate about Sabbaths and new moons and all this stuff. But, but, but evaluate your life and go, in all of my hard work, is there a moment in my day where I just stop? A moment, rather, in my week where I stop. I take a moment to be present. I stop doing. I start being. I'm just there with God. I'm present to family I'm trusting, listen, I'm trusting something really important, that I can stop working and the world keeps spinning. Now, if Jesus were to stop, how would that work out? Not, not, it wouldn't, wouldn't go too well. If God's like, I'm just going to take a day off from being the God of the universe today. Sometimes it feels like that. It's like, what's going on? You know? But the Bible says that God, he never grows weary. He's always faithful. He's always available. He's always present. He's always working. But if we were to stop, everything would be okay because God is still faithful. God is still going. And, and so this is really hard for us, especially in our Western culture where um, the highest value is, this is, 
This is, if you want to, if you in this modern time want people to know that you are important, you know what you tell them? You're busy. I'm busy. People need me, you know. Places to go. There's so much to be done by me, right? And really, that's what, really, that's deep down, that's what we mean when we say we're busy. Deep down in our culture, it's a way to, to sort of find importance, to find meaning in my work. I, I'm busy. I've got, now, don't get me wrong. Some of you guys are like, I, I'm busy and I don't feel important. That's how some of you feel? That's okay. Okay, I've been there too. But, but deep down, there is this heart issue where we go, how much at the center of my life am I? And what a, what a great gift in the Sabbath. What a great gift in this discipline where I just let God be God for a day. I enjoy my family. I enjoy the gifts he's given. I enjoy the fruit of my labor. There's seasons where this is harder to do than others. But throughout the history of God's people, there is rich tradition found in whether it's lighting a candle for 24 hours or pausing and inaugurating a moment where you just say to the family, okay, guys, dad's here. The family's here. And there's traditions found in that we stopped being human, we stop being human doings, we start being human beings. This is a, a rhythm in Jesus' life. And like maybe this is the sermon. Like, let's close in prayer. Like, I don't know. This could be for some of you, this could be your key to the health that you need this year is learning to be and to pause and to stop and listen, to give your business that already belongs to God back to Him. To give your work and your job that came from God back to Him. Say, Lord, I'm gonna do this your way. What about this rhythm? This is another one we see in the life of Jesus. We want to train not just in work and rest, but I love this about Jesus. This is, I really want to learn this one. It's kind of like Harry Houdini, a pretty cool thing that Jesus did where he would, he had this rhythm in his life of presence and absence. Both of these kind of working together. Both needed rhythms in our lives. You, you can't have one of these without the other. We're seeing the idea, right? And you can't have too much of one without the other. So Jesus modeled presence and absence. Presence being uh, being connection and relationship with the people that God has placed in your life. Presence, you're there. And, you're, and by the way, you're fully there. You're, you know, in a, we're in a day and age where we can just be present to the whole world all at once. We learn to be absent from this, to be present with the people who are right in front of us. One of the hardest things to do in our attention-crazed time is just be where you are. I'm, by the way, I'm preaching this sermon this morning as a student, not as a master. I just want to communicate that, okay? I, I'm preaching this from weakness. I, I want to grow in this, growing in the ability to be present. And, and this looks like community. This looks like relationships. Um, this looks like the rhythm of being present. Here's one. At church every Sunday morning, like your spiritual life depended on it, not based upon the weather or how I'm feeling. I mean, we don't do that with work. Well, work's kind of important. Here he goes, the pastor talking about church attendance, okay? No, I'm talking about a rhythm that we see in the life of Jesus, a rhythm that the Bible says all throughout it is life-giving, to just be present face-to-face -face with the people of God. Jesus models this, but he also models the opposite. You know, the, the two tendencies that we tend to find ourselves in is we're, we're usually in the middle between these two. We're either not as present in community and friendship and known as we should be, or, and, and we're also, we can sort of be in the middle where we're not there, but we're not, also not present before God and quiet. We're just kind of living by ourselves without community and without God. But Jesus shows a different way to do that, presence and absence. In, in Mark chapter one, I love this example of this. It says that evening when the sun had set, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together 
at the door. So Jesus, you know, this is the, like whether you're introvert, extrovert, everyone's here. We're gathered, we're present, everyone's together. And Jesus starts performing miracles. It says, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. The time had not yet come for, in his ministry to proclaim his identity. And so what an incredible moment of Jesus' presence. Now watch this. It says, now in the morning, so this is the evening. He's at community group, you know, hanging out. It's what we do in community group. We heal each other and cast out demons in community group. But there's this spiritual activity, community group. They're, they're, they're gathered. They're present. And then in the next morning, notice this, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary, pray, solitary place, and there he prayed. Now he's absent. And, and the question in the town is, where did Jesus go? Like, you need to be found in, here's a rhythm for you in my life. Be found in community and be hard to find at the same time. Be someone that's, that's not hard to find. Like, oh, there they are. They're in, we know them. I've seen them. Have you ever, you know, this happens a lot in church. Where it's like, have you seen? It's like, I haven't seen them. And there's people, it's like, I see them all the time. And, and so be found in community and also have times in your life where you can't be found. And so notice Jesus. It says, and Simon and those who are with him, they search for him. Where, is, where did Jesus go? Okay. He, he literally dipped out. We can't find him. I love this. When they found him, they said to him, Jesus, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Just kidding. They... <laughs> they found Jesus, and they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus doesn't apologize. Like, oh, no, I, I need to be present at all times to everyone. My phone, my phone rings. I have to answer it. By the way, do you know that you set people's expectations for how fast you respond to the call and how fast you text back? You didn't text me back. When did you text me? Ten minutes ago. I haven't even seen your text yet, okay? Healthy rhythms. You can't be with everyone all at once. You've got to choose who you're going to be with. You've got to choose. If this is a moment, I need to wake up early. If I want to be the mom, I want to be in community. If I want to be the, the, the husband, the wife, if I want to be the parent, the student, the friend, I need to be with Jesus first. I've got to disappear. I need to start my day missing and then live my life found by the people God's called me to do life with. Jesus doesn't apologize for this. He gets up and he goes, all right, let's go to the next town. I love this. He's like, oh, my bad. He's like, no, nope. next town, we're going to do the same thing there. I'm going to show up and heal some people, then you won't be able to find me. Now you see me, now you don't, all right? <laughs> Giving and receiving, another key practice in the life of Jesus that we want to train under that's going to form us more into his image and his way. Giving and receiving. It's such a cool rhythm that we see with Jesus because we know this speaks to the, the, the doctrine of what's called the hypostatic union. Hey, yo, write that down, all right? that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus preexisted his birth on Christmas. God came into the world in the, in the second person of the Trinity, in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was one with the Father from eternity past and one with the Father and Spirit for eternity future. Yet Jesus on earth, the Bible says, he chose, he emptied himself, he took on humanity and though he remained in divinity, he lived as a human. The Bible says Jesus learned things. Isn't that crazy? Imagine God who knows all learning things. How can that happen? Only in the incarnation. Only in the person of Jesus. And part of that was Jesus, the way that he navigated his life. He showed us how to be a human. Jesus 
never gave unless it was something that he first received from the Father. This is how he lived his life. He would show up to places where there'd be tons of people that needed healing, but he would only give out of what the Father was giving him. He would receive every morning. He would start his day with, this, with the Father, and the Father would say, I want you to do this. Here's your instructions. Here's what I'm calling you to do. Here's your battle plan. And Jesus would flow out of that. Now, there's a great model in this that we try to mirror in our philosophy of ministry here as a church. We, we try to say it this way as much as we can, that ministry for Jesus, whether that's serving whether that's showing up for our setup team, which is light on bodies, we'll see you next week, whether that's, whether that's, whether that's giving of, your, of your, your offerings to the Lord, whether that's giving counsel to someone else, all ministry, ministry is service unto the Lord for the good of others. All ministry for Jesus must first flow out of intimacy with Jesus. Ministry for, anytime that's backwards, you're going to burn out, isn't it? You've been there. You're just like, oh, I'm do- this is not good. I'm not healthy. Everybody else is benefiting but me. And you got to get that order right. Ministry, of, and this is the picture in Scripture. Like, even Acts, I love this. In Acts 3, uh, Peter goes to the temple that is beautiful. He's with, called beautiful. He's with John. There's a man begging at the door, expecting to receive some money from them. And here's, I lo- this is an incredible moment. The man's crippled. And the Bible says, Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have. He's a church planner. He says, but what I do have, this is ministry. This, this is a verse the Lord gave us when we started. Because you're like, oh, we need resources, we need to do this. Jesus is like, what? I didn't tell you that. Like, you need what I give you. He says, what, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you. I might not be able to, you know, we feel like that as a church member. Like, we can't give you what they, that church can give you. They got some great stuff. If you want that, go there, you know. But, but our job is, listen, your job as a Christian, I can't give what that person, you feel that way? I can't give what they can give, what they have to offer so, you're playing the wrong game. You're measuring the wrong way. The question is not what you can give to, compared to what they can give. The question is, what has God given you? What have you received from him? And as you've received it, he says, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I, 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 don't, I may not have much. You ever feel that way? But here's what I have. Here's what I do have. And what I have, you can have it. Isn't that cool? That's ministry. Lord, you've given, so I'm going to give back. I've received and now I'm going to give. So where do you find yourself? Let me ask you this morning in this rhythm. Are you imbalanced? Maybe in, when it comes to giving and receiving, you're, you're like, you're too much on the giving side and you need to recalibrate. Get the cart after the horse. Is that how that should be? I don't know. You get the idea, right? You need to get things in the right order. You've got to go, man, am I just giving on an empty tank? That's, that's, listen, listen, you don't exist just for the church. The church also exists for you. And so what does it look like for you to take a season? And we tell people this, like you come into the church and you're like, oh, I'm here, I'm excited, I'm excited to get to work. We're like, no, just stop, just be. What's your context? What's your background? No, just, just, just join a community group and learn what it means to try this one. I struggle with this working in the Christian world, you know. Learn to just be a Christian for free. Just be a Christian <laughs> and just receive. And then from that, now maybe you find yourself in that place where you need to position yourself to receive. Maybe it's time to fulfill what 1 Peter 4.10 says, that as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, we find ourselves, I feel like as a church sometimes, with serving in like a, this, um, like almost the spectrum of of challenge with this, where we're always like counterbalancing. 
We're like, come to the church. You know, there's things that need to get done because you know, middle school can't make itself a worship center. God knows that, right? And so we're like, oh, we're like, just come in and receive. And then we're like, okay, the weight of the whole ministry is falling on six people who have received and they're giving and now they're dying, okay? So we're like, all right, every, come on, guys, we need help. Wait, 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 let's make sure we receive. And so, man, we, I really want to encourage you. That's almost an impossible balancing act for us as a church to perform. Can I really exhort you as a Christian to evaluate what that looks like for you in our church? Like, maybe you're like, it's time for me to stop and receive, but maybe you're like, it's time for me to start giving more. Like, I can't use the excuse about my past church hurt anymore. Like, that's a thing. But maybe your redemption is found in serving in a healthy way. Not saying I can't serve. I remember what happened when I used to serve. What if you gave Jesus another chance? I'm not even saying give us another chance, because we will fail you, okay? I'm saying, what does it look like to just say, Jesus, I know, here's at the end of the day, you've put these things in me. And I want to give back to you what you've put in me. Just pray about what that looks like in your life. Hey, we'll move through these a little bit more quickly as we close out. Praying and acting, another key discipline in the life of Jesus, a rhythm. Like I said, I know these are a lot, so hopefully you're jotting them all down, and you just want to start with one lap at a time. That's what I'm really thankful for with the Lord. He doesn't expect you know, us, us to really walk or run beyond where we're at. He takes us one step at a time. Another discipline in the life of Jesus was praying and acting. A lot of controversy around this one and actually our political climate. You know, thoughts and prayers don't matter. Action matters. And everyone over here is like, action doesn't matter, prayer matters. It's like, both matter. You know? <laughs> this, is, this is, by the way, this is the way of Jesus. Jesus was disciplined to pray for things that he thought and he saw only God could fix. Like, there's, there's no human solution to what only God can intervene and fix. So we see Jesus praying but it's never at odds with the actions that are necessary to fix whatever the problem is. Like, so let me, I'm talking about it. Let's just read the Bible. Here's what Jesus says. It says, coming out, we know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus taught his disciples, pray this. In, in, in Luke he's, uh, chapter 10, he says, pray to God, God, don't even lead me into temptation, please. Keep me from that thing. Jesus is like, well, if you find yourself in that thing, pray, because you will. When you're in it, pray. You, you won't overcome temptation if you're not praying for God to bring you through it. It says that he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, and Jesus models this. He prays, and Jesus is facing the Bible says that Jesus, as a man, was tempted in all points, yet without sin. And Jesus, in this moment, he, he knows what's ahead of him. It's going to the cross and bearing a death that no one else has ever experienced in death. In his death, he was going to bear the weight of the sins of every human. It's the heaviest part of the weight of that cross. And Jesus, as he's going to the cross, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. He's praying, nevertheless, not my will, there's the action, yours will be. In his, in his will, he said, I'm going to obey you, Father. Not my will, but what you want. It says, this is so cool, then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Maybe that'll happen to you too. I can't guarantee that. That would be sick. Let me know if it does. It says, in being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. He's still praying. He's fighting in his will, but he's praying. It says, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples 
and he found these homies taking a siesta. <laughs> he found them sleeping. But notice this. This is one of those. You ever had these? Sleeping from sorrow? Like, I'm too sad to be awake. I just got to go unconscious. I can't bear this. But notice what he says to them. He's, he's leading them. Look at this. Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So you see what he does here? He calls them to pray, and he calls them to act. He's like, don't enter temptation. Stay awake. I know your flesh is crying out unconsciousness right now. But stay awake, but also pray that you don't enter temptation. This is, this is like classic Jesus with his disciples. He'll say things like this. Pray to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his field. And then he'll say, go into all the world and make disciples, right? He'll say, pray and act, pray and act. What does that look like in your life? Maybe you find yourself today and you're like all about your will and your action and your efforts and what you need to do for Jesus. And you need to dial that back for a second and make sure that your ship is sailing through the power of prayer. That prayer is what's driving you forward. You can't fix it all by yourself. You can't fix your sin problem all by yourself. You're going to need the church. You're going to need prayer. You're going to need community. You're going to need a relationship with God, a dynamic one. So prayer. But maybe you're like, I pray about everything. It's like, well, do you do anything? Right? I'm praying for community, Lord. It's like, well, are you in a community group? God, I want to be used by you. Are you serving? Think about that. We don't do that with anything else, right? Like, Lord, provide dinner for me today. It's like, what do you do? Then you go, where am I going? I'm going to go get dinner, right? So, so just think through these, these disciplines and what they look like in your and my life. Closing them out here, this is probably my favorite. It's the last one. No, it's not, but it's close to it. It's two, two more. Feasting and fasting. It's, it's my favorite because it has to do with food. I'll, I'll be honest, the first part I prefer especially, Okay. Two spiritual practices regarding food in the life of Jesus, the history of the church, and really the heritage of God's people. Reason number 1002 why I'm a Christian. Christian faith, all about food. It's about food. It's about, like it's a spiritual practice. You see this in the life of Jesus? See this in the history of Israel? How are we going to remember who God is and what he's done? We'll come around a table and we'll eat together. And we'll look in each other's eyes and we'll talk about who he's been. And we'll even look at the food as symbolic of who he is and what he's done. We do this at the church. We call it the Lord's table. We eat a meal and we think about the body and the blood of Jesus shed for us sinners to be holy and righteous. And this, is, this practice, feasting, was central to the life of Jesus. Jesus' approach to food made up his rhythms. Jesus, at any point in his life, you could say he was either feasting or fasting, one of the two. And one commentator said about the Gospel of Luke that in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. It's like, do you say Jesus or Andrew? That's what I'm thinking. Like, <laughs> feasting. In, in, listen, in Scripture, in the history, even in the order of creation, like to get together around a meal, it's not just some trite way to, to fill our, our hungers, but it, it's, it's a way to experience deep fellowship. That's why a lot of people in our church, that's a practice they have. After church, we're going to go around a table together. And we're going to tip really well in the name of Jesus. And we're also going to enjoy each other's company. We're going to enjoy a meal. There's something about the early church doing this, feasting together around the table. One of the coolest examples you see with Jesus in this is it wasn't just something he did with his disciples. This was one of the main ways that Jesus sought to bring 
those that were lost and far from God into the kingdom. He didn't just say, hey, come to my preaching seminar. I'm preaching, it's a new sermon series called Sermon on the Mount. You're going to love it. Invite them. Invite sinners, tax collectors, everyone. Bring them. Great preaching moment. And they would come and they'd hear his word. But, but th- this is the language in Luke. I love this. It says in Luke 19 that Jesus came. Notice this phrase, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Think about your neighbors who Jesus wants to seek and save and he sought you to seek and to save them. Now notice this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. It's like, I can get on that mission. That's, by the way, this is how you can reach your neighbors. Pull your barbecue grill out in the front and just say free hot dogs. Or whatever you prefer, vegan people, you guys are weird, but whatever you want, okay? Free broccoli dogs or whatever you do, right? Like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What a great way to open the door. Like, I, I struggle with this because my tendency is to just get angry at how private people in Boca are. Like, why, the, why don't my neighbors want to be my friends, you know? Like, and, I, and I realize so much of it depends on me. It's like, well, what am I waiting, why am I waiting for them? I'm the missionary. Let's, let's have a meal. Let's eat together. Let's fellowship together. So this is a practice in Jesus' life, feasting. You're like, right now you're like, I don't know about all 10 of these disciplines, but this one, I'm on this one. I'm, this week, I'm going to start feasting more, okay? So feasting is the engagement in food for a spiritual purpose, but there's also fasting, which is the disengagement from food, the with, with stay, um, abstaining from food for a spiritual purpose. We see Jesus model this as well. Jesus fasting, fasting in scripture. Man, I wish I could, we're, we're over time, but I wish I could go into all, all that fasting can give us. If you go to our iTunes podcast or our website, uh, we went through this Sermon on the Mount about two years ago, and there's a message on there called the forgotten or the neglected discipline, and it's a teaching on fasting. In, in the message, we talk about how fasting exists for spiritual growth, spiritual insight, spiritual breakthrough, all things that Jesus taught. You could check that out. Um, lastly, we'll close with this one, and, and Adam, brother, if you want to come up to close this out here in this moment, this last, last practice in Jesus' life was knowing and showing. Knowing and showing. It tells us that it was Jesus' custom. Mark 10 says that he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. Multitudes gathered to him again. And it says again, as he was accustomed, we know this about Jesus, he taught them again. Jesus was a teacher. Like, let's not get this twisted. Like, he was, he was more than a first century teacher, but he was a significant, incredible first century teacher. Best sermon illustrations you've ever seen. Most engaging, most, you know, he preached to the head and the heart and the hand all at the same time. And it was his custom to teach this way. And when he would teach, he, he was teaching out of, in his humanity, what he learned from the scriptures. You know, it's been said, like, if you were to poke a cup of water and, like, water were to come out, if you were to, like, shove Jesus, scripture would just come out. It just, like, spilled forth from his life. He was so saturated in God's word. That's such an important place to be. Maybe some of you, you just need to hear that. That's a discipline for you to employ. Saturate the word of God over your soul. Satan shows up to Jesus to tempt him, and he just responds with the Bible. He's like, I don't have to fight you. Here's what's true. So knowing God's word, but, but it, it's beyond that. He sends us out, and he says, don't just know, teach. Know the way and show someone the way. Make this a discipline in your life. Now, what are these, 10 practices, 12, I think, 10 or 12? Handful of different things to begin to employ. 
And I hope you, you, you're able to create a little bit of an action plan for yourself as you go into this week and into this new year. Um, in our email, we'll send out a couple recommended reads where you can get real specific even about how you're going to schedule these things into your life. These are practices called a rule of life where you can, you can schedule it. You're not just like, it, it might happen, but you're, you're planning it. But let's go back to that kind of opening question. Right now, as you find yourself with the rhythms, patterns, habits that make up your daily and weekly life, and you even answer this question of how it's going, can I remind you of the goal of this? Is so much more than being a better you, right? Like, especially here in the new year, there's, I'm sure Barnes & Noble has a whole library of sections where you could just find better ways to live. But it's so much more than that with Jesus. Jesus says this about these practices. He says, this is the reason why I have a better life for you. Not so that you can look in the mirror and say, I'm killing it. But so that you could be further, deeper, closer, in union with the Father who loves you. Maybe as you ask how it's going today, you just go, well, however it's going, I know, however I'm living, I'm not as near and dear and close to God as I could be. And that's the vision. Jesus says this in John 15, 9. He says, as the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Here's the call. Just come abide in my love. Come remain in that place. If you think about a couple that you, look, that you admire, maybe a marriage that's lasted 40, 50 years or so, and you look on at that relationship, and you see this magic of romance, you see this love and this connection, I guarantee you, whatever that relationship is, if, if you were to look under the hood of that relationship, what, what you'll find is more than just magic, you'll find some disciplines. You'll find things like date night, You'll find rules of fighting. You'll find ways that they have purpose to woo each other and win each other week in and week out. You'll find a series of almost like not sexy practices that have given way to a vibrant and vital connection in a relationship. You know, the magic and the feeling of romance, it, it can get you. It should, it, we should keep that kindling, hello. But it'll only get you so far. In a relationship with God, trying can only get you so far. What if you stop trying and you just surrender today and you said, Jesus, I'm done building my life on my own, on my own foundation, in my own way. I really want what you have for me, which is to fill me with your love, pour out your love in me, because that's what he's making us into. What he's forming us into is more love. Love for God and love for our neighbors. Let's take a moment as we close out, as we dismiss out here. We want to think about... What are we building our lives upon? And let, let's cry from our hearts to Jesus today and say, God, I don't want to build on my own foundation. I see where it leads me. I want to build upon you. Let's take a moment to reflect on that.